God's favor. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the way you show your grace and your mercy. And I ask that uh, our hearts, uh, they, they be at that place where we're ready to listen. And I ask that you give me grace, please, in all these things. Thank you that faith, hope, and love remain even when things are extremely difficult. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. <clears throat> all right. So I want everybody to turn to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. Excited to share some things with you. So um, if you remember the story, Moses is aging out. Moses is getting really old. He's 120 years of age. And he has seen some of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible parting the Red Sea, water coming from a rock, all kinds of fantastic, amazing miracles. But he's also had a lot of heartache. One failed marriage that ended in bitterness and a bitter separation, all kinds of problems. And working with a, uh, with a very frustrating people group known as the Israelis. And at one point, you know, they were demanding water. They're trying to survive in the wilderness. And they're being such whiny, complaining little brats. Now, by the way, it's about 1.5 million people, maybe 2 million. It's a lot of people. And they're being so frustrating to Moses. When God told him, this is what I want you to do to provide water for the people, he got angry and he tried to do the God thing, the man way. He tried to do, uh, do what God wanted him to do, but is on his own terms. And when that happened, he forfeited his right to go into the promised land. Can you imagine? You know, regret's a powerful thing. And so he's frustrated. He's 120 years old. And it's his time as a man to say what really matters, what really counts. And we discover this in Deuteronomy 23. I'm so sorry about this mic. The windscreen's gone and we're going to uh, cool it down or, or, or I'll just shut it off. There we go. So when Moses addresses the people, he repeats a theme. Look at this. Look at that. Stephen, I'm just going to shut this off. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> then I need to regulate my blood pressure and uh, calm down about this little mic. So, all right, here we go. Um, 31, verse 6, Moses says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or in dread. He's talking about Israel going into the promised land and there's going to be war, Right? And then he says in verse 7, be strong and courageous. Then he says in verse 8, do not fear and do not be dismayed. He repeats the same. So the first thing the old man says is to the young men, to the people of Israel, you've got to settle up on your need for courage and your need for strength. Because what you're about to face is very, very difficult. Okay? The ability to set our mind in a place where we are going to intentionally take a path of courage can be very hard. 
and to intentionally choose to be strong when everything inside of us says, I need to be weak, that can be very hard. There are people here today who, are, who have faced, just in the last few days, some of the greatest heartaches a human can go through. The death, the death of a loved one. And the heartache is real. No one can enter into your pain because it happened to you. Some can stand on the outside and say, I'm hurting. I, I, I want to shoulder the burden with you. It's hard. It's hard. Israel is about to go into one of the greatest tests that they're going to face. And Moses, the old man, says, be strong, be courageous. And then here's something that's really, it's really fascinating. It's almost discouraging, but it's fascinating Moses, in verse 14, starts to talk about how they're going to fail. How's that for some discouragement? For an encouraging pep talk, he's going to talk about how they're going to fail. He actually does it. He says, point blank, you guys are going to go in, you're going to take the land, and then all of a sudden, when things get easy, you're going to turn away from God. And you're going to go after foreign gods. And you're going to forget that at one time your passion for God was so high. By the way, when things get bad, you're on the backside at a heart hospital, the death of a loved one, horrible news. Somehow that pushes you toward God, doesn't it? It makes you remind, it reminds you that life is sacred and life is short. And all of a sudden that can stir you up and all of a sudden, courage and devotion and strength toward God makes sense. And you get back on the rails and we're going hard after God. and We're going to follow his ways and it's great. But then when things go easy and there's no more challenges and it's, it's like, wow, the pantry's full of food and all the kids obey and, and the grandchildren are quiet and the, the grandchildren are quiet and, 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 you, whew, and, you know, you're going on and. All of a sudden, urgency to follow God, not so much, not so much. And you can kind of drift, little by little, you drift from God, and it's hard. Moses knows this. And then Moses says this, look at verse 19. Now this is God talking to Moses. So Deuteronomy 31, 19. Now, Moses, I want you to write down a song. Write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips. This song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. That sounds kind of harsh language. It's actually not. All right, so um, here's what I want to teach you just a little bit about song and why did Moses, or why did God tell Moses, I'm going to give you a song, I want you to write it down and teach it to all of Israel. Here's why. Let's talk about the brain for just a little bit. If you take the brain and get it set up in a positron emission, uh, testing the PET scan, you get it through an fMRI and MRI, all these things. And you uh, present the, the brain with a picture, a sad picture, 
uh, a happy picture. Certain, certain zones of the brain light up. They tend to light up on the front lobes where you do the best decision making. All right, so you look at a, an emotive picture, it lights up your front lobes. But when you listen to music, and you listen to lyric, it lights up the entire brain. In fact, even as, as low as the brain stem, now you have to understand how primal the brain stem is. It's telling your heart to beat and your lungs to breathe. It even impacts the brain stem. In fact, it impacts the brain in such a way that it's preparing the brain to survive. That sounds odd, doesn't it? <laughs> that a melody, a song, lyrics, Joe, can actually stimulate the brain at such a level it prepares the brain to do life and do it well and make good decisions and deal with emotions. It lights up the system in the brain where you have memories stored. Have, have any of you, uh, and I'm saying rhetorically, don't, don't respond, but have you ever, any of you ever um, listened to a love song and all of a sudden you're thinking about an old boyfriend or you're thinking about an old girlfriend or something? Something deep hits you in past romantic relationships or something because this love song was playing back in the... 90s or something, and it hits you so deeply. Um, music profoundly impacts the brain, and it impacts the brain in zones that help you not only to make good decisions, process life, even painful things, and it gets you ready to live well, to survive well. So God tells Moses to teach this song. To Israel. Look at chapter 32, verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness, just is he. Now, I'm not going to sing because I have no idea what the particular melody the Israelis learned from Moses. And God as a musical artist is a beautiful thing. I don't know, but, but I want you to try to get this with me. Let's look at verse 4 again. The song says God is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous is he. Okay, you ready? Now I want you to talk to me. If you actually believe that was true, would that make a difference in your life? When you suffer, how so? <clears throat> What's that? Give you hope. Okay. If God is solid like a rock, He's perfect. He's faithful. There's no injustice. In other words, God doesn't mess up. When the bad stuff happens to us, it's not because God messed up. If you really knew that to be true, would it make a difference, Jen? What's that? You would know that there's a, a purpose to the suffering. Yes, there's a purpose in the suffering. Now, if you don't believe that, and you believe his God, God is not stable, he's not faithful, he's cruel. In fact, he's a cosmic sicko. And when bad things happen, he gets his kids. Okay? Now, if you believe that was true, what's the impact of your life at that point? Fear, Fear or 
Go, go back now you're in Israeli history. What would you do? <laughs> yes. And to the point you would find another God. Because there's lots and lots of choices. Right? Moses is telling them to sing a song that would, that would not push them toward foreign gods, but push them back toward Yahweh. So when it says this song is a witness against you and me, this is what it means. The witness is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The witness is saying, he's saying, hey, 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 listen to the lyrics. You need to go home. You need to go home to God. You need to go back to the Lord. You need to quit chasing after these foreign gods. That's what the witness of the song is about. Look, the evidence is in. I'm the witness. You sang this song at one time in your life. At one time, you sang it with all your heart. And you've forgotten the melody now. You haven't said those things. Sing it again. Sing the song. It will make you go home to God. That's what God wants us to do. This is, this is how we deal with some of the worst things that happen to us. One more thing. Let me go over to chapter, the, the next chapter, 32. Uh, I'm sorry, 33. Something really interesting happens. Moses, it's, the whole series is about Moses blessing Israel. Okay? Let's see it through Moses' eyes. He's 120 years of age. He's old. He's tired. He has gone through a bitter, a bitter breakup in a marriage. He's gone through one of the biggest regrets of his life is that the great leader to take him to the promised land can't take him to the promised land because he had an anger problem and he lost his cool. And God says, whoa, you don't take my place, buddy. You're going to sit this one out. I'm going to raise up someone who's been following you, a young man named Joshua. He will lead them in. He's got a lot of regret, a lot of scars, the memories of a murder event that took place in Egypt. And now he ran and fled to get away from that mess. All that happened. And God says, Moses, this is a song for you. It's a song for your people. Now the very people that are gonna, that have failed you and frustrated you, I want you to bless them. <laughs> I want you to bless them. And this that final chapter is all about how Moses blesses the very people that disappointed him. Can you appreciate that? Blessing the people that disappoint you. Okay. Now, if I could integrate the work of a good psychologist and the work of a good theologian, and I would put those together for therapy, I would say those two chapters are some of the most therapeutic chapters you're going to find in the Bible, right? The ability to sing, sing truth, sing wisdom and grace, what it does to the whole brain, what it does to the emotions, the heart, it's healthy. And then I would say to learn the wisdom of blessing your enemies. You think there's some mental health wisdom in that? What happens if you get down to the level of your enemies and you become like your enemies? What happens to you? 
life gets really, really bad, doesn't it? The anger, the frustration. And you who claim, I, me, us, we who claim to be followers of Jesus are no better than anybody else. No better at all. But when you follow the ways of Jesus, you know that the scripture says, bless those who curse you. And that is what God is advising Moses to do. Bless these men who are going in with their, with their tribe into this war zone of the promised land. God has something big planned and it's gonna be hard on everybody. And I want you to bless them. You've already confronted them about what's probably happening or what will happen in the very near future. You leave judgment up to me. Meanwhile, you bless them. There's wisdom in that. All right. Now you're the body of Christ. You're the one who says you follow Jesus. And if you do, you know, we live by a great, a great commandment. And the great commandment is that we love God and that we love each other. We live by the great commission, which is that we are called to share this gospel, live this gospel and share it wherever we go. But there's also the great gifting that you who are born again, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And you can speak grace and wisdom. So. When you sing the songs of God, there's healing. When you sing the songs of God, you're worshiping. It will be a witness against you, calling you back to the Father. And when you learn to bless people who disappoint you, wow, you're acting like Jesus. All right. Now you are the body of Christ. I want you to own this. Uh, You're free to ask questions, but I want you to give biblical counsel. How how, how do you think this applies to someone who's just lost someone they love dearly? The worst things that can happen. Heartache. Bad marriage. Children that rebel. Lost job. Lost health. You can go on and on and on. Why is there such wisdom in this section of Deuteronomy 31 to 33? You're the church. How do we live this out? What do you say? I think it's interesting that when God gave Moses that decree, he didn't tell Moses to keep it to himself. It wasn't a special message just for him. But that it was to the Israelites. And when dealing with something as practical, when dealing with something as boots on the ground, as grief, community is so vitally important. Not just not to have people say, well, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, but to say, I don't know how to help you, but I want to, and I'm here to listen. And to have a community of common ground understanding, even if even if someone's faith isn't as strong as someone else, and Paul talks about that, that those who are strong in the faith encourage those who are weak, it indicates that our faith ebbs and flows, and when we deal with grief, when we deal with tragedy, in a, in a place that doesn't feel good, that's not roses and sunshine, when it's just real, when it's raw, 
Yeah. That community of believers is so vital in having that common song that we can all call to and say, mm-hmm. I don't feel this in my heart, but I know it's true because I'm around people who believe it just as much as I do. And I know that there's going to be a day when I'm that stronger person being that person for who's weak in their faith. Mm-hmm. So I think having that community, singing in community, that song is meant to be a song of communal, not just in isolation. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, I'd share. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I, I mean, there's so, there's so much uh, symbolism all throughout the scripture about the, the symbol of, like, the rock, you know? I mean, I think Paul said, like, I think, I think it was Paul that said something about the rock of stumbling, yes. the rock of offense, and, and to the Gentiles, it's a rock of stumbling, but to... Uh, those in Christ, it's like the cornerstone. It's cornerstone, yeah. Right, and then uh, and there's a lot more that I just can't remember. But I think it's interesting how Moses hit the rock and was punished, and then here in this song, he's saying, you know, uh, rejoice, uh, or the rock. His work is perfect, so he's saying yeah. the rock is a good thing, right? Yeah. And it kind of gives me this picture of like God is like this rock that's just there. He's eternal. Like he he was there before us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so the rock that Moses hit was there doing its thing before Moses came along and decided he wanted to, yeah. you know, wrangle with it, right? And so. I think Abel sees the rock as something to build on, and Cain sees the rock as something that hurt him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So and good. so, uh, it, to me, what I see in this is that, you know, when it comes to those big pains or struggles, it's uh, having the right perspective of God is the most important thing because if you start to get jaded and you start to get blame it on God and say, well, it's his fault, he's the one that did this, then you're going down the path of pain. But if you can hold on to that thankfulness and that spirit that, that's in the song of, of you know, singing, then, you know, that's the path that leads Yeah, that is so good, Nathan. In fact, in verse 18 of 31, it says, you forgot the rock who fathered you. <laughs> so God is, God as a male is being assigned gender specific language for a female. It's like God fathered you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. It's like God is your progenitor and he's a rock. That is so good, Nathan. Someone else I think over here. Yes, Kathy. Like if I'm going through um, times of grief where I do feel like I'm alone, I have 
song that I sing in my, in my head. And it really does help. It's that, that touchstone because your brain when you're alone can go all different directions. So while he's speaking corporate to a you know, corporate body, he's, Moses is also speaking very individually to each yeah. person. Yeah. Those times that you're going to be by yourself and you're going to have to sit with your grief or your pain or that's good. Yeah, that's good, Kathy. We need both. Yeah. By the way, can you? You know, we're going to be we're going to be singing here very soon, and I hope that based on this teaching, you might you might be a little more intentional about your singing, and that you let that song push you and draw you toward the Lord. Someone else on why this matters. gives us hope, doesn't it? If you uh, study the work of some of the the people that survived the Holocaust, there's some fascinating things that come out of the work of Viktor Frankl and and, uh, Elie Wessel, the two principal writers that I'm recalling. And one of the things they describe above all the other things is that those who survived somehow held on to hope. Yeah. You know, the SS guards could do whatever they wanted with your body, but there was a place inside of you that the evil could not touch. And that is the place of faith. And it's the place of hope. And that's a part of the song. It calls us to faith. It calls us to hope. Because the human that loses hope, do you understand how dangerous that is? you understand that suicide is the logical next step? It's serious. Some of you, um, based on last Wednesday, have been praying for one of my clients. We're going to call him Kay. I did a suicide intervention with him over the phone. And very, very difficult, very sad. Uh, When you lose hope. And by the way, by the way, One of the driving things in Kay's life was the death of his mother. He's a young man, by the way. And that death had so impacted him and to the tune he's crying, she won't come to my ball games. And it hits deep sometimes, right? And he's he's on that threshold of tripping over into the place where there's no hope. And that's bad. So when, when God is rock, it means God is hope. That's so good. So good. Okay, anybody else? Before I pray over you. Anybody? 
All right, let me pray. Abba Father, thank you for the love and goodness that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the wisdom that we need to do the work of singing truth and blessing those who disappoint us. Thank you for the way you treat us and how you speak blessing over us even though we disappoint you. Thank you. Abba Father, get our hearts ready to, to do this, to be intentional and focused and to think about these words and the truth that calls us and drives us back to you. Masking now in Jesus' name, amen.